Welcome to the program, the Pete Callender Show, News Talk 1110-993-WBT. 159 years ago today, in the fields outside of a small Pennsylvania town, two massive armies met and waged the bloodiest battle of the American Civil War. And I want to welcome back to the program Dr. Bill Forstgen. He is a historian, college professor, uh, best-selling author, and the official historian of the Pete Callender Show. Uh, Welcome back. Dr. Bill, how are you? Hey, Pete. It's been a while, and glad to be on the radio with you. Absolutely. So, uh, and in case... He sounds familiar. He was on. You were on with George Norrie uh, the other night too. So, have you finally got your sleep schedule sort of back on track? <laughs> you know, the problem with George Norrie is at the end of two hours, I've had three or four cups of coffee, and then I don't get to sleep until six in the morning. Right. <laughs> so, uh, first off, let me ask sort of a basic question about uh, uh, the Battle of Gettysburg and why you think. This story and the telling of the story and what happened over the three days in July, uh, July 1, 2, and 3. Why is this important? Why is it relevant now? Gosh, it was a climatic moment in the Civil War. Uh, both the, Confederate, the Confederacy saw in their invasion of Pennsylvania under Robert E. Lee that they might very well bring us to the negotiating table, the Union side, to end the war particularly if they were able to then fall on Baltimore or even New York by flanking around. The Union saw it on the other side, these are the soldiers, that if we lose another battle, this could be it. So both sides, as they converged on Gettysburg, were primed for a major fight that might very well decide the war. So let me ask you about this idea that um, that this could bring the Union to the negotiating table. Why why was that? The position of the Union in May, June, and July of 1863 was a bit precarious. Now, things were being won out in the West, but there had been another disastrous battle at Chancellorsville. Uh, Concurrent with the Gettysburg campaign, draft riots are going to start breaking out in New York and other places. A major, another major defeat. The, The idea for the Confederacy was to pull the Union Army out of the Washington fortifications or fallback position, defeated in the detail in the field. And with that, the Northern Coalition would fall apart, and some sides would draft call for peace. So it was an all-or-nothing gamble. On that as well, the Confederacy had been losing men like crazy in battle. Chancellorsville, 18,000 men were lost. We knew he had only one more good fight in him, and he had to make it a climactic battle. I've also read that uh, General Robert E. Lee, uh, I don't know if this is true, maybe you've heard it as well, I'm sure you have, that uh, he kind of thought of himself and his men as almost invincible up until this point. You know, uh, people ask me about, particularly the third day, which we'll talk about later, Lee, I think, saw this, uh, remember, when Lee grew up, Napoleon was the model. He saw this as the potential of an Austerlitz or a Waterloo, a climatic battle that would decide things, uh, called amongst military historians the quest for decisive battle. One big battle was going to decide it rather than the grinding match that it had become 
and would continue for almost two more years before the war ended, just grinding their opponent down. Quest for a decisive battle on one side, the reality of a grinding match on the other side of taking thousands of casualties day after day after day. So um, you mentioned Chancellorsville. This was um, earlier on. This was a couple uh, weeks prior, right back in May, I think, 1863. And he then, after winning in Chancellorsville, he then marches through the Shenandoah Valley and tries this second invasion of the north. Right. Uh, his army's feeling good. His men are feeling good. He's feeling good, right? Because they think this is uh, this this could be the turning point. Um, meanwhile, on the other side, uh, you got a general Meade who he basically took control of the Union troops. Like what? Three days prior to the battle, right? Right. He was brand new to it. He took command on the evening of June twenty eighth. Uh, in fact, he kept his entire uh, staff that had been part of Hooker's group because this, this was new territory for me. This was his first try on I Command. I personally feel me could have done a lot better. Be that as it may, he still did at least fight to a draw, you know, actually a victory at Gettysburg. All right, so why did you say a draw and then a victory? Why you seem hesitant? Okay, uh... Boy, we're getting into minute details. Uh, <laughs> Meade had enough reserves at the end of uh, Pickett's charge that if he had gone forward and attacked, he might very well have overwhelmed, you know, just overwhelmed Lee. In fact, Lincoln would say a bit later that Meade reminded him of an old woman shooing geese uh, <laughs> when he allowed. Uh, Lee to escape, go back across the Potomac River and retreat back into Virginia. Meade should have finished it then and there. A different general would have. Meade did not. Mm. Um, so let's uh, let's start with day one because that's uh, right. that that happened yeah, let's go today. Logical order here. Yeah. Okay. So July first, eighteen sixty three. Um, what happens? This involves, I believe, right, uh, North Carolina uh, 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 general or uh, commanding officer. Who the rumor is, or the, the the legend, the wives' tale, which I think is false, right? Was they went looking for shoes? That's not necessarily true, or is it? No, it's it's absolutely false. Uh, Confederate troops have been operating in Pennsylvania for a couple of weeks, uh, actually as far north as Harrisburg. Troops had marched through Gettysburg uh, several days earlier. They swept everything up. Little funny story: there was actually a first battle at Gettysburg several days before the big one where a militia unit turned out to try and block the road. They were overwhelmed. They were all captured. The Confederates didn't even bother to take them prisoner. They just stripped them all naked and told them to go home. And you had a couple hundred naked men wandering back to their homes. (laughs) That was the first battle of Gettysburg. So, no, it it was a myth. On the evening of June 28th, Lee starts trying to gather his army back uh, to a village called Cashtown, about five miles northwest of Gettysburg, while at the same time, the Northern Army is concentrating at a place called Taney Town or Tawny Town, just south of the the, uh, Pennsylvania-Maryland border. All right, so Gettysburg, population 2,000, uh, which was a pretty big city, pretty big town at the time. Uh, It had three newspapers. It had two institutes of higher learning. It had churches. It had banks. No shoe factory. No warehouse. No. But, it, but it had roads, right? Roads that that ran 
through the city, and that's what brought the armies there to meet. Yeah, uh, these were the superhighways of their day. There was several turnpikes, which were actually paved roads, paved by 19th century standards with limestone and then crushed and then some oil put on top. But these were fast-moving roads compared to the usual dirt tracks in Virginia. So armies, the Union Army was moving at 20, 25 miles a day and 90-degree heat to start concentrating again in Tawny Town and Emmitsburg, just south of Gettysburg. And then one brigade of cavalry was sent, excuse me, a light division of cavalry was sent north to Gettysburg, seven miles away. And there they ran into a brigade of Confederate troops, North Carolina boys under Pettigrew. Pettigrew pulled back a little bit. The stage was now set for a massive battle. My guest is Dr. Bill Forstian. He is a best-selling author, historian, and a Montreal College professor up in the mountains of uh, Western North Carolina. We'll have more with him on uh, the Battle of Gettysburg 159 years ago uh, today. It began, and uh, we'll join him in a moment. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Pete Callender here, and I'm talking with Dr. Bill Forstian. He is a New York Times best-selling author. Many, many books, 50-some-odd books and counting, working on uh, a fourth book in the One Second After series right now. But he's also a historian and college professor up at Montreal College. And uh, uh, we're talking about uh, the Battle of Gettysburg, which began 159 years ago today, the bloodiest battle of the Civil War. Um, and uh, so where we left off, Dr. Bill, was the uh, uh, the North, Carolina, uh, North Carolinians under Pettigrew, uh, they were... Uh, heading into Gettysburg. Now, uh, the the commander, what was his name? Henry Heth, right? The general who later said, oh, I sent them up there. I heard about some shoes that were up there and to go up there and go get them or whatever. But regardless of whether they went there looking for shoes or not, you got Pettigrew is up there with his men and they see the Union troops, right? That's what prompted the first interactions. Yes. Now, you know, I find particularly haunting that night before there was 150, 170,000 young men on the roads coming down from the north for the Confederates, coming up from the south for the Union for a change, usually it's the other way. One third of them will become casualties Mm. within the next three days. And through that long night, what were those boys thinking? You know, I kind of have this image that maybe their ghosts are still traveling along that road. So... When the first collision happens, Pettigrew goes, uh, the Confederate commander goes, oh, my gosh, there's, there's a lot of Union troops up here. He starts calling up more men. At the same time, uh, the Union side, they're calling up more men. So both sides throughout the day are just funneling more and more men into Gettysburg. Look at the town of Gettysburg. It's like a spider web, you know, uh, with the center. And then all these major highways converging on this one spot. So both sides, 150,000 young men on the road coming to this one spot where there's going to be one hell of a battle. So June 30th, Pettigrew's troops approach uh, the town, and uh, they notice Union cavalry under Brigadier General John Buford arriving south of the town. Right. And then the Confederates pull back, and then they decide, come morning, we're going to bring some more reinforcements up, and we'll go booming back into this town and take it. And there was a belief at the time that this was the Pennsylvania militia, that, that 
there wasn't really a big presence there, right? Was this a miscalculation? Yeah, there's a famous quote of when the Confederates first started going in on the morning of July 1st. They think they're pushing aside militia. Instead, they're finding well-armed cavalry with modern, uh, you know, Sharps rifles with a high rate of fire. And then finally, one of the men cry out, them ain't militia boys. That's the Army of the Potomac. We got a hell of a fight ahead of us. And so it began 159 years ago this morning. 7.30 in the morning is when the opening shots of the Battle of Gettysburg were fired. You mentioned the heat. Um, Also, the uniforms, I should point out, right? Wool. Uh, Not exactly... Uh, the best fighting attire I would submit for <laughs> for Southern summers, um, but this was generally when the when the battles were fought. Right, the summertime was this was the fighting season. Yeah, spring, summer, fall. Because once winter starts to set in, the roads become impassable except for those major highways. Your your all your other roads are just going to turn into quagmires of snow, water, etc. But this day, the roads are very good. Troops are moving at high speed through tremendous heat to get to this one spot. One quote I'll never forget is, as a Union brigade crossed from Maryland into Pennsylvania, the commander of that brigade looked at the flags, and he said, Boys, I can think of no finer fate than to fall for that flag in my home state. He would be dead 24 hours later. The first day of the Battle of Gettysburg ranks as the 12th bloodiest battle in the entire Civil War, the first day. the, just sec- the first day. Yeah, just the first day alone um, yeah. is it puts it up in uh, at the 12th spot. Uh, more casualties than the battles of Bull Run and Franklin combined. Um, right. And it's just getting started. It's going to get a lot worse uh, as it unfolds. So uh, there, was, uh, there, were fi- there was fighting for, what, three hours or so in the morning, uh, then there was uh, a lull, and then it resumes uh, in the afternoon. Um, so at the end of the day, who's who's got the upper hand? Okay. Uh, the Union had sent two corps. Now, a corps is a, you know, named for a unit of about 12,000 men. There are two corps in Gettysburg, Union Corps. The Confederates, however, have four or five, six divisions that are closing in on Gettysburg. They outflank the Union forces, and it turns into a debacle. About 5,000 Union troops wind up being captured, and the Union troops are pushed back outside of town to the famous Cemetery Hill. What holds Cemetery Hill is a Union artillery commander, Henry Hunt, puts 40 40 artillery pieces on top of that hill, and they're just blasting down into the Confederate lines with canister. They stop the offensive. But beyond that, a lot of these Confederate troops that marched 15, 18 miles in 90-degree heat, they were exhausted. They were played out after having fought for a fair part of the day. So the battle simmers down at the end of the first day with Union troops dug in on Little Round Top, Cemetery Hill, etc., and the Confederates mass their forces for the next day's fight. Which is even worse. We'll have uh, details on that with Dr. Bill Forstin in a moment. <music> News Talk 1110-993-WBT. 159 years ago today, the Battle of Gettysburg began. 
My guest is Dr. Bill Forstgen. He's a historian at Montreal College, best-selling author, and a friend of the program, friend of mine. And uh, real quick, we mentioned uh, Brigadier General Johnston Pettigrew from North Carolina. Um, the 26th North Carolina, the largest regiment in the Army with 839 men, lost heavily, uh, leaving the first day's fight with about 212 men. And then by the end of the three-day battle, they had only 152 men standing, the highest casualty percentage for one battle of any regiment, North or South. Pettigrew was himself killed uh, on the retreat uh, after they had crossed uh, the Potomac, if I recall. Um, And so now we're in day two. In day two, now the infantry units of both armies, everybody's on the field. Everybody is there. And day two uh, is... Uh, the largest and costliest of the three-day battle. So tell us what happened on day two. You know, uh, two things that usually are not covered well in history. It took a lot of research. I wrote a book on Gettysburg some years ago. Item number one, the Union left was covered by Buford, all right? And that was down towards the Little Round Top. Buford was ordered away back to Westminster to be resupplied. He left the left flank naked. The Confederate Union commander there, Sickles, ordered his men forward. I think Sickles actually did the right thing. They are going to be just about wiped out. On the Confederate side, 25,000 men and a battalion of artillery were ordered to march south to flank around, you know, the famous flank march around Little Round Top. However, they took the wrong road. Not many people know this. They almost got into position, and suddenly, as the lead men are coming to the top of the little rise, they're staring at the Union lines a half mile away. They had to turn around, go back four or five miles, circle to the next road, and then go south. The delay was catastrophic for them. Now, imagine moving 25,000 men down a road. It's like you missed your exit. Your wife, your wife tells you you've missed your eggs, and you say, don't worry, I know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. You never do. <laughs> so the Confederate attack, which should have started around 11 in the morning, doesn't start until about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. If they had come earlier, they might have won. And then in the interval, uh, some troops at the very last minute, led by the 20th Maine, get on top of Little Round Top only minutes before the Confederates hit it. If they had hit it an hour earlier, they would have swept the hill and the Union line. So these are some things that are not well known about the battle. So they take the hill. That then gives them superior advantage? Yeah, the the Union troops, uh, a brigade of about 1,500 men, position themselves on top of the hill, and then comes the famous fight of the 20th May. Forward of them, Sickles' entire corps is getting torn apart. Again, a corps is about twelve to 14,000 men. Sickles has his leg blown off. You know what he does after his leg is blown off? He orders his stretcher bearers to hoist them up onto their shoulders, lit a cigar, and then goes down the, the, the firing line screaming at his men, give them hell, boys, give them hell. I always kind of liked Sickles. I thought he was a good fighting general. Um, and for folks who uh, may be curious, I'm, I got some tweets here, and uh, I can uh, I can confirm this uh, that this did occur because we've talked about this. Uh, yeah. There's a Twitter user who says 
he had you as a professor. He took several classes up to the soccer field with paintball guns and had us attack each other in line infantry formation, firing single volleys. After the bloody conclusion, he took up a semi-auto and challenged everyone with a single shotgun to try and take him down. He is a legend. So, uh, <laughs> Yeah, we went to World War One tactics. They stood up and charged. And 10 seconds later, it's like, the battle's over. You're all dead. Right. <laughs> so, um, that was a great class. So let me go to, uh, let me skip ahead here, because I want to uh, reserve the last segment for sort of the, the, the wrap-up and the reunion that occurred. Um, so July 3rd, Pickett's Charge, one of the most futile, bloody assaults of the Civil War. Um, Lee has to reconsider his plans because uh, he, he figures, well, if you got both of the flanks getting reinforced, then I'll just go right through the middle but what he didn't know was that Meade had anticipated that and had right had had uh, strengthened the, the the center line. Pickett's charge, the the legendary charge, you know that Faulkner talks about as how in every Southern boy's heart there's a dream that it might have worked. It is a complete disaster. Somewhere between twelve to fifteen thousand men are to advance across a mile of open field. Lee was used to, at that point, Union troops often would break and run at the advance of what we would call his Imperial Guard. This time, these boys were dug in, they were angry, they were going to hold their ground no matter what. The climactic moment of maybe the Civil War. And they held, uh, Lee took almost 70% casualties. After the, after the fight, Burial detail went out, and just along one stretch of road, about 200 yards wide, they buried over a 1,000 men. Now, I've walked on Omaha Beach, two and a half miles wide, 2,500 casualties. Pickett's charge, about three to 400 yards wide, about 7,500 casualties in a matter of about 45 minutes. It's horrific. It's beyond our comprehension today. Yeah, I mean, as they're marching, they're getting raked by artillery fire from the front, from the sides. Um, and when they reach Emmitsburg Road, which uh, runs across this field, um, uh, they're just getting mowed down. Uh, because the closer they get, the more uh, accurate, obviously, they can be fired upon. Um and they're behind the Union guys, and they've got their infantry position behind a low stone wall, which uh, actually comes into play uh, at a reunion between Confederate and Union soldiers years later. Uh, we'll mm-hmm. get to that with Dr. Bill Fortune from Montreal College in a minute. <laughs> News Talk 1110-993-WBT. 159 years ago today, the Battle of Gettysburg began... Dr. Bill Forstian, historian from Montreat College in uh, Buncombe County over there. Um, the reason why we talk about this, and I've talked with Bill before, I mean, he's a he's a historian, he's an expert on this, but the Battle of Gettysburg was the bloodiest of the Civil War. 51,000, roughly, soldiers killed, wounded, captured, or missing. Civil War, deadliest war America's ever fought. 624,000 casualties. Um, and Gettysburg being 51,000 of them. I mean, that's more than the the Korean War, um, it, it just in, in three days' time. Um, so after the war, uh, after this battle, I should say, is over, and then the the war ends, uh, you know, and their time goes by, years go by, right? And um, somebody gets the idea to bring all of these folks together. Under what? <laughs> 
Under what pretense or what idea was it to say, hey, why don't we have all of these guys that fought to the death? Why don't we bring them all back together at the site of the battle? The reunion of 1913 had 55,000 men in attendance, you know, from north and south. Starting in the 1870s, 1880s, veterans started to form reunion groups. Uh, the battlefield at Gettysburg is more of a Victorian memorial park. Hundreds of monuments erected by the various regiments. So in 1913, Confederate and Union, it's part of what was called the Great Reconciliation. There was a reconciliation on both sides, particularly for the fighting men of North and South who recognized in their opponents, hey, they were swept in, uh, up in it the same way we were. Famous incident the 500 Confederates who had been in Pickett's charge reenacted it. And they crossed that field. And meeting them on the other side were Union troops. There's a very famous photograph of these men reaching across the stone wall and shaking hands. Great moment. But the other half of the story is some of the Confederates started to step over the wall to go back to their buses. Union soldiers said, you can't get over this wall. You've got to go around. And the Confederates, why? Well, you didn't get over it in 1863. You're not going to get over it now. The hell you say. And next thing you know, there was a huge brawl of Union and Confederate veterans in their 70s and 80s beating each other with their canes, and they had to separate them all. Oh, my gosh. That evening, though, there was some fear of tension. Instead, they finally see these guys from both sides have mingled together, and they're just all getting drunk together, saying, yeah, the war sucks but it was maybe the greatest thing we ever did. Hmm. So you mentioned you've been up there. You, you, you would take school trips. You'd go on your own time, all this, uh, the, these visits. Yeah. Um, when's the last time you've been up there? Four years ago. What was it like? And it's always very poignant for me. I always finish my personal tours with going to the cemetery, standing on the spot where Lincoln gave his famous Gettysburg Address. And also there's a statue near that spot to the GAR, the Grand Army of the Republic, to the last veterans. And it's a photo. It's a statue of a very old man looking out across the field, his dreamscape, or as Chamberlain put it, the, the vision place of souls of remembering what once was and how they were once young and fought with everything they for everything they believed in north and south. Do you see a lot of people up there anymore? Oh, my God. Well, not as many. I remember the last time I ran a tour up there, I was suddenly surprised to see that there were free parking spaces at Little Round Top. Uh, It's sad because some of this political climate now, we're not going to get into it in this show, of hating the South just is not fair to the average soldier who fought there. In fact, as I'm talking to you at this moment, just down uh, near, right next to my house is a very close friend and neighbor who's been a Confederate reenactor of the 26th North Carolina for years. We respect that view, though we don't necessarily agree with everything that was done. The war ended slavery. That's the big thing. That's the important thing. And we've been trying to reconcile ever since. So are you worried that people don't, you said there are parking spots. Are you worried that people aren't taking uh, trips up there because of the political climate? 
or uh, viewers, you know, has dropped somewhat, and I, I find that to be sad. Though I would guesstimate that there's at least a hundred thousand people in Gettysburg today for the Remembrance Days. Mm. I remember when I was there in 2002, there was like half a million people there. When uh, Newt Gingrich and I were selling our book, Gettysburg, we sold 2,000 copies. book is still out there, by the way. Uh, no, it will always be a vision place to solve. People will come. Uh, a couple of comments I've gotten here from Denny, who says, Fascinating guest today, Pete. I love the historical content. Brett says, Pete, I am really enjoying the Gettysburg discussion. Please thank your guest for me. Uh, So thank you, Dr. Bill. Um, Adam said he is super stoked that uh, you are on. Uh, You have been one of his favorite authors for 20 years. I've read the Lost Regiment series multiple times since high school, as well as his alternate Civil War history with Newt Gingrich. Uh, And Andy said uh, historical fiction Civil War books he did with Newt were really very interesting. Um, so I guess uh, I could offer you this opportunity. We have a, about a minute or so. I could a- offer you this opportunity to tell your uh, your tree trimming story with Newt Gingrich. Tree trimming? Weren't w- my memory quick? Was, weren't you and Newt trying to stop a tree from falling on a house at some point? Not that I'm aware. Of. Oh, maybe not. Okay, I thought I thought maybe Newt told the story then of the, the they were cutting down some tree limbs, and I thought that was you, Bill. I thought that was maybe, uh, maybe Newt told it. Yeah, I don't remember it. All right. Well, so do you have another story from Newt that you'd like to tell? Yeah, just walking that battlefield alone in the evening with just Newt, and he was darn near in tears. Oh, I mean, he he was emotionally choked up. There, that is. As Joshua Chamberlain, famous Civil War uh, general, said, it is the vision place of souls. And where greatness happened, greatness will still linger. I urge everybody to go to Gettysburg. Don't necessarily go now. It's crowded. It's hot. Go in the fall. That is a beautiful time of year to visit Gettysburg and to remember. And they've got self-guided tours, the materials that are available online with the, uh, the Historical Society, the Hallowed Ground uh, magazine as well that was put out uh, for the big anniversary, the 150th. Uh, there's just a lot of resources now that are available. So, y- y- like, I-, I guess they still do the guided tours, but you don't even need that uh, anymore. Oh, well, a very quick story. Uh, I talked to a tour guide once. He said the most incredible experience was taking an Asian couple uh, around the battlefield for the two-hour tour. They were full of questions and also knew the battlefield. And he asked them at the end, why are you interested? And they proudly said, we're new American citizens. We're learning our history. Boy, that chokes me up every time I think of it. You know, we're learning our history. I always hope that continues. It's, I do, too. And it's, it's always been interesting to me that when I first kind of uh, found out about this and took an interest in it was probably the 150th. Uh, and I, I never connected these dots of July 1, July 2, July 3. Mm-hmm. Leading up to the birth, you know, the celebration of the birth of our nation, and mm-hmm. the three days prior to that birthday uh, is the bloodiest battle between our own people to settle, you know, the quote original sin uh, of American birth. And right. I don't know. It just it's it's a it's a little too perfect in its uh, in its placement, you know, in our history. No, I, I think it is kind of perfect in the placement of our history. You know that we went through this greatest trial. 
And then on July 4th, we celebrate our greatest triumph, the creation of this nation. Dr. Bill Forston, best-selling author, Montreal College professor, historian, friend of the program. Thank you, Bill. Have a great Independence Day weekend. God bless you, and thanks, Pete. Take care. 